Turn to your neighbors, people on your left, right, in front of you and behind you, and say with great faith, you're on the move. I feel like the kingdom of heaven on earth is primarily a movement, right? Uh, which means that those of us who are uh, living in the kingdom of, of heaven on earth uh, should, uh, above all things, uh, you know, be moving, experiencing that in our life. Here's a warm-up question for you to get the brain juices flowing, preparatory to uh, the sermon this morning. Uh, a little reflection on your life, particularly if you've been following Jesus for any length of time. Have you ever tried to make progress with God, tried to move with God, only to find that it made your life harder? I'll give you eight seconds to think about it. Some of you are laughing and grimacing already, but pretend like you have to think it over. <laughs> have you ever tried to make pro progress with God only to find that it made your life harder? Raise of hands, yes. Raise of hands, no, always been easy hate you. <laughs> and I know for a fact that's not true, Lee. She's, yeah, she's just tougher than the rest of us, so she doesn't notice. We're in this sermon series, uh, it, it, normally on the book of Exodus, which is, you know, the story of the Israelites leaving uh, slavery in Egypt and coming into the promised land. That's what the story of Exodus is about. It is one of the most famous stories in human history, um, you know, there's a cartoon about it, um, uh, a musical, uh, no less. Everybody knows uh, the story, the parting of the Red Sea and stuff like that. But what the story is really about at a fundamental level is what it takes to turn a slave into a free individual. How God turns slaves into free, powerful people. Uh, last week, we sort of introduced the series, although I did it with a scripture from the book of Hebrews, not the book of Exodus, um, just sort of previewed the arc of the story, which I assume that most people know. Uh, the, the Hebrews, the Israelites, were freed from slavery in Egypt. They left Egypt, parted in the Red Sea, all these miracles, but they didn't get into the promised land. They just kept messing up in the wilderness, complaining against God in spite of all the miracles they got. So only a handful of people uh, who were part of the original exodus, the original breakout, made it into the promised land. And that, that's actually like the next, the next bit of the Bible. You get Joshua, the story of, of the faithful people that pushed through and made it. Uh, and so it's, it's a little bit of a tragic element here. You know, God is raising up free people out of slavery. But it turns out that while it's fairly easy to get people out of slavery, it's fairly hard to get slavery out of people. And then that kind of ends up being a major part of the story as it progresses. What does it take to get slavery out of people might be the best way to understand the story of the book of Exodus. I was uh, reflecting on uh, the arc of the story this week and thinking about uh, various friends that I've had. This one friend in particular, this guy to whom I've been talking for years, or this ongoing conversation. I don't know, you could call it an evangelistic conversation, except this guy would say uh, that he believes in God. You know, I, I, I would sort of explain the principles by which I live. And he's fairly agreeable to them. Yeah, yeah, you know, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, 
But he's miserable in his life. He's really stuck uh, in his circumstances. Uh, he will tell me that he's quite depressed, um, even though supposedly he believes the same things that I believe. He just can't seem to muster the urgency or the capacity to do things like get involved with church, you know, go to the gym, so to speak, um, and uh, or, or really make any major change in his life. And, and the mystery for me, uh, the thing that blows my mind, is that people can kind of live in the gray like that, year after year after year after year. The sensible part of my brain and soul uh, says something like, if your status quo is that unacceptable, you have to change it, right? You have to try something. If, if your life is miserable, of course you're going to make a move, right? But we've all met this person, right, or people like that. Do you know people that are really dissatisfied with their lives but can't seem to make any change? I can't muster up the, what would you call it? The willpower, the discipline, the faith, the, the launch, the, here's a good blue water word, try, you know, a life of try. Uh, we always say at Blue Water that life means uh, trying. Um, you know someone similar. You might be someone similar. Right? You might be stuck in the gray. There might be big circumstances in your life and you just think, I just can't live with this a day longer. But you've been living with it for 10 years, you know. Um, uh, that's just part of the human condition, uh, whatever you call that. And, and I've been doing this a long time now. You know, my entire adult life, I've been uh, trying to live by faith uh, help other people live by faith. I've been trying to minister. And to me, this is the great fundamental uh, of ministry. It's not making people recognize a need for change, but giving people like the capacity to pursue. It's extraordinary. It's fairly easy to take people out of slavery. It's fairly hard to take slavery out of people. They just settle, you know, uh, disempowerment is never primarily circumstantial for people. Right? The thing that oppresses you in life is not your tough circumstances. And circumstances can be tough in life. You know, Some of us have been through some hairy things or are going through some hairy things. But your disempowerment is internal. Right? It's spiritual. We all know stories of people who desperately need to make a change, but just can never seem to motivate themselves to do anything about it. We also know stories of people who were overwhelmed by the most oppressive circumstances you can imagine and became free, who would do anything to get out of it. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. And that's what the story of Exodus, Exodus is about. It might not appear to direct directly relate to the passage that we're going to read uh, this morning, uh, but it does. You can turn there right now with me to Exodus chapter 5 in your uh, impressive hard copy Bibles, if you're a real Christian. 
your smartphone if you're, you know, one of those other Christians, or you can read it on the big board uh, behind us. They will all serve perfectly well. But we're going to read Exodus 5, chapter 1 through 9. I'll set up the, uh, the backdrop. I, I've skipped some major things in the story. I've skipped like Moses encountering God at the burning bush, because you all kind of know that story. That would make a great sermon. That sucker always preaches. But what I want to do is just kind of stay on what I think is the most important story arc. So uh, <clears throat> very quickly, in 30 seconds, the background is that uh, the uh, Israelites originally went to Egypt to escape a famine. Uh, this guy, uh, Joseph, was there. Uh, he was a, a Hebrew and uh, and everybody in the tribe was saved, uh, Abraham's descendants, and they grew, uh, they prospered in the land of Egypt. Um, they were given a section of the territory called Goshen. And they prospered so much that the native Egyptians became scared of them. And within a generation or two of, of uh, the Israelites taking residence in, in Egypt, um, the pharaoh, which is to say the king of Egypt, began oppressing them and enslaving them in order to control them because he interpreted them as a threat instead of a good addition uh, to their uh, society. And uh, as Exodus picks up, the Israelites have been in oppression, in sort of class slavery. They were third-class citizens, laborers in Egypt for, for about four centuries. Long, long time like way longer than the history of our country, uh, United States. Uh, Moses uh, is, a, is a Hebrew. He was born to a Hebrew family, but he was raised in the Egyptian courts because he was kind of adopted by one of Pharaoh's daughters. He grew up to about the age of 40, and then he got a hankering to bring justice to his people. Uh, he ended up doing it by killing an Egyptian slave master, a slave driver, and then he had to flee from the uh, from retribution from the Egyptian authorities. He spent 40 years in the wilderness in a place called Midian, which is kind of out in, we call it Saudi Arabia. Encounters a burning bush and God says, well, you are supposed to deliver uh, your people, but you're going to do it my way. I'm going to send you back and you're going to do a bunch of miracles. And then God tells him an interesting thing. God says, Pharaoh won't like it and he will resist you. You will perform miracles, but it won't work. And this is part of my plan. I'm going to create a provocation, uh, a crisis. And Moses is like, eventually, okay, he goes. Uh, Moses, uh, with the help of his brother Aaron, uh, uh, has a conversation with Pharaoh and says, let the Hebrews go on a three-day worship retreat. It's essentially what it is. Uh, let us go into the wilderness to honor our God. Let us leave our territory let us leave your direct control for a long weekend. That's, that's the request. It's not much. We're going to go on, a, on an all-church retreat together. We've never done that before. That's the request. And Pharaoh says, uh, no way. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so they may hold a festival to me in the desert. They're not asking for freedom. They're only asking for a break. Just a little break. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. He takes the moment to flex. Then uh, they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now, 
let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. He doesn't, they don't threaten Pharaoh, they sort of threaten themselves. Like, God told us to do this, please let us go or it may not go well with us. We might get sick or something. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. That shows what his priority is. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working, which sounds like a nonsensical statement. Uh, God had predicted this kind of provocation and crisis, but I'm sure that the people did not appreciate it a great deal, and not too many pages later, they start to complain about it, but we haven't got there yet. My question is, why does God do things this way? Why is this the path to freedom for these people, these poor people? What do you think? Why? Why does the, the path to freedom uh, lead immediately into worsening conditions, scandal. It's character building. I love that phrase, character building, because it can apply to anything. It's like, oh, it's character building. You know, that's kind of the way that people of faith say, that sucks. (laughs) But of course, but of course, there's something to that, right? There's something to that. It's character building. Yeah, Pharaoh's character is not being built, but I don't, is it though? It kind of depends, right? It depends how you react to it. It could be character building, let's say faith building, or it could be character destroying, let's say faith destroying, because you step out in obedience to a call of God and it doesn't go well. Is that going to build your character? Well, it's going to challenge your character. Whether your character increases or decreases, well, depends on you, right? It is a provocation. It's not just a provocation to Pharaoh, it's a provocation to the slaves as well. Uh, and, but you, it's in that direction. We, we suspect that it's supposed to build the character of, of the Israelites. Um, but man, you don't want to be in their situation. Um, one thing about the story that I have observed in the past as I've studied it Uh, is that by doing it this way, God reveals Pharaoh for who he is. Uh, And before we get too deep in the story, um, you know, Pharaoh and the Egyptians are going to get judged. It's not going to go well for them. Their army gets destroyed in the flood in the Red Sea and stuff like that. But by the time we get there in the story, we, the readers, think, well, he brought it on himself. It didn't need to be this hard for the Egyptians, right? And so one hopes that in subsequent months, Pharaoh and the Egyptian leaders were like, yeah, we kind of screwed that up. Maybe we should honor the true God, right? So there's that. Uh, And it makes the story really sound like a story of justice because it's like, you know, in a movie. It's like, it's not enough just to have the bad guy. He has to be an extra bad guy, like he has to kill the dog or something. And then, then you can have four really violent movies of retribution. John Wick. John Wick. Anyone? You don't kill dogs. You can kill any number of people, but you kill the dog. And there's a whole series. Um, 
so there's something like that. Pharaoh, Pharaoh kills the dog. Um, so there's logic there, but there's a logic, uh, I think, in making the Hebrew slaves aware of their situation. Here, here's what I mean by this. Uh, the Israelites, as I said earlier, have been in slavery for 400 years at this point. They have survived slavery for 400 years. What does it take to survive slavery for 400 years? Well, one thing it takes is a culture of survival, a culture of getting by. You raised your children in it. They raised their children in it. And pretty soon, you kind of, all you know is this, right? You're living in the gray, but you're making the most of it, right? You're in pain, but you've found a way to be comfortable with it. And then some joker shows up and says, I have a better life. There is a promised land. And the thing you have to overcome is the way you've completely oriented yourself to live in the slavery. You know, that you're kind of comfortable in the gray. You know, you've lived in Seattle for 20 years. <laughs> this is just how the world works. And then you come to vacation in Hawaii, and you're like, there is a God. <laughs> Some of you are feeling it right here, aren't you? Yeah, it's like, I, I, I try to come up with analogies to kind of drive it home. It's like, I'm, like I want out of the gray. I, want, I was just ministering in Portland. Um, it's a beautiful city, beautiful forest, because it rains so much. That's the idea, right? It's your... It's your culture at this point. But God shows up and, and says, here, just do what I tell you. And then you do it. And then your situation gets worse. Like you can't even call it gray anymore. It starts to get black, if you know what I mean. Darker and darker. And now you're like, okay, well, this does suck. And you realize that this guy, this character, this tyrant, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and all he represents, has way more influence in your life than you're comfortable giving him. You know? Amen. Like, yeah, I want to be free, Mom. You get the idea? So part of it is, is making you aware of how bad it is. Because you have a, a crazy ability to get comfortable with sucky things. So what I need to do is to make things even suckier so that you realize uh, that there must be a better life out there. There must be a way, a better way for you to live, for your family to live, for your children, children to live. You get the idea? So it's a provocation uh, for you, turning the gray uh, into black. And God often has to do this in our life. If you've ever been in a 12-step program, uh, one of the things that the, the mentors will tell you that a person has to hit rock bottom before they start climbing up because, you know, addicts get really comfortable at that level right above rock bottom and they can live there for years and years and years. There's a bit of that in all of us. There's a bit of slave culture in all of us. And anyway, this episode makes clear to the Israelites just how powerless they are you know, what their life can't be. 
they realize that under this tyranny, I can never really be who I should be. My children can never really be uh, who they should be. You get it? People often accept, accept slavery quite well, I have found. People often get quite comfortable in slave situations in life. Um, when you feel like you can't change it, you've never been to the promised land, you decide that you don't really need to go. Just be satisfied with what you have. Come on. This is life. That's life, man. And that's slave thinking. You know? To that end, you kind of see what the decision point is going to be for the Hebrews going forward. And remember, we're primarily interested in their development, how a slave becomes a free person. But we can anticipate what their choice is going to be. Are they now going to get angry at Pharaoh for making their life doubly difficult? Or are they going to get angry at God for making their life doubly difficult? That's the choice. That's the choice they're going to have. And we see that choice happen again and again over the next 40 years as they wander around the desert. It's always the same choice. Are they going to get mad at Pharaoh are they going to get mad at Satan? Are they going to get mad at the system? Are they going to get mad at the culture around them? Or are they going to get mad at God? What should they do? Well, probably shouldn't get mad at God. He's the one trying to free them. But you see how it sets up. If God's first step is to make life worse for you, you know, it takes a lot of faith not to get angry at him. We always face a similar choice in our lives, don't we? as you begin your journey into freedom, or any journey into freedom, uh, even the one that uh, you're trying to uh, continue, diversify the freedom in your life. Anytime you make a move for freedom, you're gonna have this choice, because if you make a move for freedom, the first thing that's gonna happen is that your life is gonna get harder. That's the first thing that's gonna happen. Your life is gonna get harder. And then it will get better. Then it will get better. But the first thing that's going to happen is that it's going to get harder. God is going to cause you some problems. But he's not the problem. And that's just a great truism in life. Yeah, God's going to cause you problems. Yeah, he's going to increase the sacrifices you must make in life. Yeah, but... But he's not the problem. He does that in order that you can overcome the problem. It just might not seem like that uh, for a while. Um, you might have to get used to that. Um, the first step to freedom is always discomfort and pain. And what we need to do is to master the knack of honoring God in it, in the midst of our discomfort and pain. Uh, it's still pretty close to the New Year's. Uh, so many of us are still trying to honor our New Year's resolution to get into shape. Have you gotten out of the part where you're just sore all the time? You know, every time you pick up a new activity, every time you try to get stronger, what's going to happen to your muscles? It'll, it will hurt first. It will hurt first. And there's a promised land out there. There are people who exist 
who run 10 miles every day and tell you what makes them feel great. Right? They exist. Yeah, don't trust those people. They'll ruin your life. But there's an analogy that we all understand. You know, if we're going to get in shape, if we've been just sitting on the couch eating potato chips and getting flabby and lazy and stuff like that, it makes us feel junk. That's why we make New Year's resolutions in the first place. It's like, this sucks. This hurts. I can't do what I want to do. I can't be the person that I want to be. And then we go to the gym and we think, it doesn't suck as bad as I thought to sit on the couch and eat potato chips and be weak. I could... I could live with this, you know, for a, for a good while. Um, you know, and, and, and this is, this is Satan's trick. Um, you can accept the dull pain of slavery better than you can accept the sharp pain of deliverance. Right? And that's the human condition. We'll accept the low-grade pain of continuing oppression rather than push through the sharp pain of deliverance. Are you the kind of person who can push through the barrier? Push through the barrier. Now, of course, God will help you, but um, that's, that's Satan's trick every time. You can handle the pain of slavery. How do I know? Because you've been handling it for a long, long time. But I also think you can probably handle the pain of growth and change and newness and promise and calling. You get the idea? Say amen. So uh, when we come to that point in life where God wants to bring progress and freedom and strength and more, you know, more purpose to us, um, and we have to make some change, and it's going to be uncomfortable to make the change. It might be very uncomfortable to make the change. Uh, do we uh, get angry at God, or do we get angry at the system, the world? What do we get angry at? System. Do we try to change God, or do we change the system? Speaking from experience, it's really hard to change God. So we should change the system, right? We should change the system of Egypt, right? Trick question. No, we should leave the system. Leave the system. It's a trick question. You have to opt out. You have to stop playing by the old rules. And we're going to see a lot of that in the story of Exodus. We're not demanding that Pharaoh give us justice. We're leaving Pharaoh. We're not demanding that Egypt change to accommodate us. We're leaving Egypt, right? You're doing your own thing. You're inventing your own way. You have to be truly different. And that, too, makes people uncomfortable. And we're going to see a lot of that in the story. That's just, a, that's just a, a preview. So the application point, I think, is pretty direct. And maybe not surprising uh, now that we've gone through it. Are you willing to work harder with less resourcing in order to have a lot more in the end? And this is a question that a lot of us have occasion to ask in, in, in life, you know? It's like an entrepreneur starting a business. Have you ever started your own business, right? Your life gets really hard uh, for a good long while uh, because 
you know, you're not just working nine to five, you're on, you know, 16 hours a day to sort of launch the business. Why do we do that? Because ultimately we think that being an owner of a business will improve our lives and the life of our family, right? So there's, there's a, a trope, a story there that we understand. Or, you know, have you ever been in competitive athletics at a high level? It's like, well, you have a lot of sacrifice and a lot of training. Like your life is way harder than other people's life. You have to you know, you have to monitor everything about you, your effort, your food, your sleep, all that stuff. You're, you're redlining all the time. Why do you do that? Because you think the victory, the performance and the breakthrough is going to be worth it. It's going to improve your life. It's going to create opportunities uh, for you, maybe. Or are you, uh, you know, a young person trying to walk with sexual purity in a world that is just completely done with that? You know, uh, it might be hard for you uh, for a while. You might have some accusation or ridicule. You're certainly not going to have a lot of support out there in the culture. Why are you doing that? Because you are envisioning a future that is more fruitful uh, for you. You're just going to have to endure and get through it. Delayed gratification, right? Sacrifice on the front end in order for blessing on the back end. Are you willing to do that? It's just a super basic human question. And one that the story of Exodus throws in our face right at the beginning. It's like, yeah, God's going to make it harder for you. And part of that's going to be so that you recognize the condition that you've been in. That you recognize how, how weakened and oppressed you are. How dark the world is. And you're going to be tempted to get really angry at God. I'm just saying. Uh, maybe, maybe some of you are there. Have you ever experienced that? Where you just get really angry at God for not being a snap-the-finger sort of deliverer? Instead, he's a process-oriented deliverer. It's not enough for him to take you out of slavery. He has to take the slavery out of you. You get mad at him for that? I mean, how dare he? I mean, he calls himself a father. All he does is ruin my life. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, be silly. Path to freedom, people. Path to freedom. And I want to bless you to be the sort of folks who can lead people down that path. I want to bless you to be the sort of folks who recognize the value of freedom and working with God and delivering people from the gray because the gray will kill you as well as the black will it'll just take a slow time doing it you know we say sometimes at blue water the spirit of eh has killed more people than the spirit of violence ever has Satan just wants you to settle for living in the gray. And I want to bless you to be the sort of people who live in the light and to sort of carry to the rest of the world the promise of light. Are you not sick with how you're living? Is it not insufficient? Are you not anxious? You know, I love Quok's stories. Uh, about his you know, part-time work at, at Starbucks. You know, 
what I hear him say all the time is, you know, Jordan, it's just amazingly easy to be light. Because <laughs> people are just grayed out, you know. And they encounter light for the first time and they're like, what is this? What is this? And then we would like to think, well, at that point, we'll just snap our fingers and you'll jump into the light. But that's not how it works. The message is, like, you too can come into the light, but it's going to take some effort. Right? You're going to have to make some uncomfortable changes. You're going to have to, well, that's really what conversion is about, isn't it? Becoming a different sort of traveler, a different sort of person. And I would love to bless you to be the sort of people that can release that on the earth. That's what we're called to be, people of freedom, people of exodus. So Father God, I pray that you would do that transformation in us. I know that God has been pounding on some of you. He has been making your life doubly difficult. He has been reducing your straw ration. And all you can see is straw. <laughs> You're hustling to, uh, to have enough to do what you're required to do. And it's hard for you to think that this is the way that God is blessing you. I know God's been pounding you. It's for a reason. It is for a greater deliverance. It is for a greater richness. If you can make it you can make it. I bless you in Jesus' name for this journey. Amen.